3: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. You're listening to Real Life, a podcast from The Nation Network. I got 50, I got 50 for a day. Brought to you by Finning Canada, the parts you need when you want them. We are live on the Real Life podcast brought to you by Finning Canada, our great title sponsor. They do fantastic work. Not only uh, all the big trucks and vehicles and everything else, uh, they make really good calendars for Strud's, as you know. Uh, he's still trying to get one made with his face on it, but thankfully they haven't done that yet. Uh, Jason Strudwick, uh, former NHLer, host of... What's your show
1: again? Uh, dinner television.
3: Dinner television. Very <laughs> popular
1: with the ladies. Very popular.
3: <laughs> and i Jason Greger, uh, Wanye Gretzka, MIA. We don't know where the Wanye is, but uh, anyway, we have a great guest on because I think this is fitting. The, uh, the Edmonton fan base has not been able to discuss the P word in almost 11 years. Well, uh, that's going to change as the uh, Oilers are uh, on their way back to the playoffs. And our guest today on the Real Life Podcast, he knows a thing or two about winning Stanley Cups. So he knows a thing or two about being to the Stanley Cup final. Jared Stoll joins us from Los Angeles. Uh, Mr. Stoll, how are you?
0: Good, good. How you doing, Jason? It's good to be on. It's good to good to chat I haven't haven't been able to talk to you in a while so thanks for having me on
3: well yeah i i haven't uh spoke to you live since the, the big news that uh you're engaged how's that going
0: oh going good yeah wedding uh wedding planners are, are a good thing i've learned that so don't got to do too much but no it's exciting yeah we're
1: uh,
0: we're going to do it this summer and uh yeah, get it going. So, nice,
3: nice, nice. Now, I do want to talk quickly for those who don't know. Um, you've uh did like strudge a little bit. You you retired and now you're you're although I, you haven't had a press conference yet. So, I don't know when you're going to have that. But um, <laughs> you're you're into the media side of thing. I know you're you're doing some uh, some TV work uh, for the Kings. Uh, how are you liking the analyst gig?
0: I like it. I like it a lot. I it's great that every game is so different. You're, you know, you're focusing, you're studying, preparing on different guys, different teams. Um, yeah it's just the outline is so different and and I enjoy it I want to stay in the game I love watching the game Um, I love watching highlights I love going to Staples Center and uh, you know hanging out with the the guys again and being around the team and Dean Lombardi has been great as well he's also let me come around the rink and uh, work with the guys at face-offs and the minor league team is only an hour and a half away here in Ontario California so it's been good I've been able to get on the ice with those guys and do the tv gig so it's kind of it's kind of two things i wanted to do after i was done playing and right now i'm just kind of trying both and unfortunately at the same time but it's, it's good it's keeping me busy and uh, and i enjoy both
1: when you uh now sit back and watch all these games and you know you're not competing you're not going to be playing anymore but when you look at it does it kind of change the way you think oh man i wish i maybe done this tried this or done that differently have, do you have any of those thoughts as you now watch uh, from a different perspective
0: well, yeah, it's, when you're watching almost every game from the press box now, it's, uh, you know, I've watched a couple of games from the press box when I played, <laughs> you know, only a couple here and there. But uh, now you watch every one from up there, and it's it's crazy to see how much time and how the plays develop and, and how good the good players are at making plays. And, you know, you see a pretty good drop-off between top guys and maybe the bottom-end guys that don't make as many plays. And, you know, the top-end guys, they see things that, that you can see clearly from up top. And that's, and that's pretty special to see that and see those types of guys make those plays. And I think that's the main thing. And how fast the game's getting, you notice the, the speed of it and the skill of it. Um, you know, all these kids coming up, can, they're young, but they can play and they can contribute. So it's, it's fun to watch that kind of stuff.
1: And I, You kind of brought it up there, but the speed of the game to me, I mean, I've only been out six or seven years, maybe some people thought it should have been longer, but whatever, it is, the, the guys now, I go down to watch an older's practice, and the speed that the guys do things at now, it's its almost mind-blowing to think that it's changed that much in less than a decade.
0: Yeah, I know. It's just the, the training or the, the, the skill work that these kids are, are putting in now and the time, but they're fast with their hands and keep up with, with their, their feet and their speed, and that's, that's something that you know, to have that combination obviously uh connor's probably the best at it at, at, at his hands and his feet and skating ability but yeah it's, it's impressive it's it's awesome to see where the game's going and like i said all these young kids coming in and contributing right away and you know talking about adding or improving the offense part of the game you know i yeah i wish it would just you know more goals are being scored because there's more skill in the game today so hopefully that'll find a way to play itself out and, and create more goals, but uh, it's, it's a good game. I think it's going in the right direction. And, you know, there's one thing that, you know, guys that are 30, 32, 33 years old are, are kind of getting pushed out of the game, which, which I think sucks. But, you know, it also says that the game's going going in the right direction with these young guys coming up and playing well. So.
1: You know, Sully, so I always appreciate the way you played the game. To me it seemed like you you figured out at a pretty young age that you know, you had skill and you could do quite a few things, but you became pretty good at a couple specific things. One was the draw, and then you also were able to get that 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 one timer off. You know, at what point did that kind of that that switch flip inside your head and say, "Okay, you know what? I can do a lot of things, but let's do a couple things really well to separate myself."
0: Yeah. Well, I think two coaches really helped me and put me in roles that I could succeed. Craig McTavish was awesome for me. He put me in a penalty killing role, and then you know realized that I, you know that I had a pretty good one timer, and that I could play the point on the power play as a forward. And Craig Simpson, he ran the power play years ago in Edmonton when I was there, and again he put me in that position. And you know once once Alex Hemsky had the puck on the half wall, he was so good at finding me on the on the backside that it just it just worked. We had that chemistry. So, you know in those years that was kind of my type of role, in taking faceoffs and, and the penalty kill and, and the power play on the point. But You know, as I as my career kind of evolved and I came to L.A. and especially when Daryl Sutter came in, he's such a guy that everybody has has a very specific role. And obviously you win championships when you have everybody has their role and plays it well and and does what they're supposed to do and and maximize your skill set is what Daryl would always say. And, And don't do anything that you can't do and don't try anything that you can't do. I'm not going to try stuff that Andrzej Kopitar can do and can try. So my role changed, I think, when I got here, and especially when Daryl got here. I was more of a, a third-line checking center, and then eventually a fourth-line checking center. Didn't play the point in the power play anymore, which really pissed me off. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's kind of how the role changed. But I also understood that in order to win Stanley Cups and help the team better, help the team more, that I would be you know, more comfortable playing that role. And, I think that's how you win. Is a certain guys you can't just play two or three lines anymore. And I think in the past maybe that was the case a little more. You had forwards playing 23, 24 minutes a night, and you don't see that anymore. Maybe the top forwards are playing 20 minutes, 21 minutes. So you need everybody in your lineup to win, and and that means role players.
3: Uh, Jarrett, you brought up how it really annoyed you that you got taken off the point on the power play, which I can understand because guys love to score. Some guys, when they lose their role or they lose their position on the team, it irks them to the point where they're not good teammates or they can't accept it. How were you able to, even though you were pissed off by losing that, able to maintain the proper focus? Did, did a player talk to you about it? Did the coach talk to you about it? Or is that just you saying, hey, I still want to be here? How did, how did you go about not letting it impact your game negatively?
0: Well, you play a team sport, and you're not going to win a championship or a Stanley Cup being being selfish. And you know, just, you don't belong on the team that way. And that's just the way I thought. Maybe I was brought up that way. I think I was. And you know, it's you got to realize as well, like like I said about roles and stuff like that. Is, is roles are important, and playing them well helps you win. And you know, I I realize I think that maybe being a third line checking center and a, a good penalty killer would give our team a better chance to win. If I would say on the power play, maybe being a little bit of a liability, you know, playing defense uh, as a forward or whatever. So I, you just got to realize what, what can make your team better um, with the type of role that you play. And I think that's, that's the main thing. If if you're gonna be selfish about that, then. Then you shouldn't be playing a team sport. You should. You should play golf or whatever. So
3: we wanted to get you on today because uh, in Edmonton, uh, we're we're having a little fun trying to remind people of the playoffs because uh, Edmontonians have not uh, really recalled it. They close their eyes and maybe go back and watch the videos. Uh, you are part of the 06 team. That came in as the eight seed. So I want to go back. We're going to got to go in chronological order. You go in against the Detroit Red Wings, heavily favored. They had, I think, almost 130 points. I think it was the biggest gap ever for an eight seed team to beat a number one yeah. seeded team. Go into uh, to that series and talk about you know, the mindset of the room. Um, were you guys that confident before game one, or did something change in the first two games? You're like, you know what? We can beat these guys.
0: Well, you're always confident going into the series. You feel like you you can you know beat them, and obviously we're up against a giant, like you said. They were uh, they won the president's trophy uh, handily, so we knew we were up against that, and we knew we were well prepared and well coached. I know, you know, Craig McTavish and the coaching staff. I, mean, I, I wasn't on any other team, obviously at that point in my career, but I was like, geez, we're we're well coached, we're well prepared. I just felt that um, going into game one. Once you you win game – yeah, we won game one. Or did we lose game one? You lost game, game one, and seen. then
3: Winchester scored the big one in game two.
0: That's right. That's right. Okay, so you get a split in Detroit, and you got some confidence coming back home, you know, to the fans. A lot of us hadn't hadn't uh, experienced what the fans are like in Edmonton come playoff time. And um, you get the split, you're feeling good, you're feeling good, and then you come back for game three, and you win game three, and then you're like, geez, you know, this is uh, the way the games were going, the way we were playing, the way they were playing – in order for us to win, we had to check them. We had to not give them very many opportunities. We had to stay out of the penalty box. You know, we didn't obviously want their power play on the ice. And we needed a good goaltending. And that's that's what we were up against. And that's the only way we could have won that series. Is check them to, the, to death. Not giving them any chances. And then Roly had to be Roly, which he was. And that's how we won. And timely saves, timely goals. I remember that game six goal that Hemmer scored. It was like maybe a minute or two minutes left in game six to, to put us up. And that was, that was just an un- unbelievable feeling. And uh, Steve Eiserman's last game. And I, he was an idol of mine growing up. And, um, you know, growing up, I wore number 19 because of him. And I remember watching, you know, after we were celebrating and we shook hands and stuff like that. And then I just remember watching him skate off the ice at the end there um, at the Zamboni door. Cause I was just like, everybody knew it was his last game. he, he kind of announced it and uh, that was a pretty cool moment along with, along with obviously winning the series.
3: Well, uh, for you, uh, well, that was, I think your first uh, overtime playoff goal, of course, up until that point in your career. Uh, Talk about just that as an individual and the euphoria when you score an OT in the playoffs.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's so hard to explain because so many emotions and, you know, every game means so much in the playoffs. So, you know it's a lot different if you're scoring an overtime goal in game 35 or you're you know in the playoffs you're you need four wins to move on in a, in a series and, and to win a game in overtime it's such a huge game and everything is so magnified um you know and coming back one fo- one first home game at home and and to score the winner and, and just to to feel the crowd and hear hear the crowd and you know the the one word that i think everything everybody used during that run was electric and how electric the the fan base was and, and the arena was so that was awesome it was it was cool it was a very weird game though I remember uh, I think there was a disallowed goal um, at the one end and then you know they were celebrating and then it, it was obviously disallowed and then um, we came back and then Manny Legacy thought he had it and then he didn't and uh, I think I might have been the only one that, that noticed that he didn't have it uh, in his glove so yeah that was a pretty special moment.
1: What's the reset like between Series One and Series Two? You know, okay, congratulations, we won the first one, but now we got to get to the next step.
0: Well, after you win, say you win around, I think everything's just forgotten. You're starting completely over. You're you're preparing and researching and watching video on on another team. And to be honest, that's kind of the way I felt um, with the playoff rounds in Edmonton and the ones here in LA. Everything's completely different, forgotten. You're moving on. You realize you need to get another four wins um, against a different team, and that's uh, that was kind of the mindset I think going forward in that kind of uh, sense.
3: Now, different. Uh, I'm guessing maybe in Edmonton and LA because I remember vividly after the Game Six, uh, the U- victory over Detroit your your team ends up on on Hudson's on White Avenue and really you're kind of partying with the fans you know you're kind of in your own room but you know every fan in there is like oh my god the orders are here they just won the you know playoff round and the place is going nuts and you're a young guy it was your I think it was your first playoff victory as far as the series goes kind of talk about just that integration and then you know as the as the energy built off of the ice and and how you guys as players were able to partake in a little bit of that
0: yeah that was awesome, you're right. I remember that very clearly and you could not move in that place and you know we had our own separate side and stuff but you know we kind of almost did, did think that we won the cup at that point. Like we were just so excited and so fired up and we were a lot of us were young guys, a lot of us hadn't been in the playoffs before and it was a big feat for us to to beat them. Um, like you said, I think they had 124 points in the regular season and for us to be able to to go out in the public and and you know celebrate a little bit with the fans and Everybody to see how excited everybody was for us. That was that was really cool. And then uh, you know after that point, you you gotta realize that you gotta refocus and buckle down again, and and realize we we didn't win the cup and we had a lot more work to do. So that was an awesome night.
3: Then you go into San Jose, you lose the first two games, which isn't ideal. You come back to Game Three, and uh, one of your best friends, Rafi Torres, has a play that a lot of people feel really changed the series railroaded Mahalik, who had been lighting you guys up in the first two games, and even in that third game, he gets injured, is out, and then Horkoff scores that overtime winner. That did the hit change the series?
0: I think it changed momentum. Yeah, I think it uh, it fired us all up, and it it obviously, unfortunately, took out one of their one of their best players at the time. Um, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, obviously, but you know it did change the series. I think in our favor, and then also you. If it's too, if you're down two nothing and you need to obviously win game three, um, it's, it's not you know do or die, but it's it's pretty much do or die. And for Hork to score that overtime goal as well, I think that was another turning point to to get us back in the series and to to give us a little bit of confidence going forward. And then game four, I, I believe Raffi again, I think he scored a big goal yep. in the third period, a um, snapshot over the glove side. I remember it pretty good. That that gave us that victory, and you know he was such a big part of of that series, any series, really, because he could do a lot of things that could change a series.
3: Right? <laughs> yeah, you were, he was, he was a, a wrecking ball when, when he was on his game, he did score 27 and 20 goals a few times, but and, and you unfortunately were on the receiving end many years later of one of his hits. Like uh, you, yeah,
0: you, you can speak exactly.
1: to how hard he hits. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, have to, I still have to have a talk with him about that one. <laughs>
1: Okay, so you guys are heading back down to San Jose now uh, for that fifth game. Feeling good about yourselves, but I mean, is, is, is there a sense of confidence now saying, guys, you know what, we've beat Detroit, we were tied up in this series, come back. Is, is this now like a different mindset that you had perhaps a month earlier when the playoffs started?
0: Yeah, I think so, for sure. I think we realized that we can we can beat very, very good teams and not just once or twice. So I thought going, in, going into San Jose, San Jose at that time was probably one of the toughest buildings to, to play in and win. Um, it was very, very loud. It was very, you know, compared a lot to Rexall place at the time for how loud it was. And um, it was a tough place. They were a physical team. They always came out um, very hard and very quick right at the start of the game. And I know Strud, you probably remember like if you weather the storm, the first five or 10 minutes in San Jose, that was kind of like a victory, you know, you just wanted to, you know, be zero zero and then move on and play the game from there. Um, And going into game five, like, Game five is always an important game because if it's, you know, it's usually 2-2 two, two, or if it's, just, you know, 3-1 in a series, obviously it's a big game. Um, if you win game five in a building, in an away building, I think, uh, to go up 3-2, that's huge because you're going back home. you got all the momentum in the world. It's game six in front of your home fans and you're fired up and the fans are fired up, you're fired up. And I think that was just a huge game for us to, you know, to put the series away in game six at home.
3: Now, at what point in the playoffs did you realize that Fernando Pisani was having an out-of-body experience for two months?
0: Uh, Probably against Anaheim. You know, games one and two um, against Anaheim. It was just, you know, he scored in in round one and round two, but he just kept it going in the conference final and uh, just scoring goals where he was just in the right place at the right time, and not only that, but also, like, making nice plays to, to score goals, you know, showing patience. And, you know, I think he had pretty darn close to as many playoff goals as he did regular season goals that year. So yeah. He was, he was awesome. He was, and you could play him all over the lineup and, you know, and then on the power play and penalty killing, because he was such a big part of that run.
3: What, what about behind the scenes? Like, how much fun are you having? Because Pisani, like, we've had him on, and he's talked about how for him, like, in Little Italy, my God, he was a legend. Like, he didn't <laughs> buy food for years, and he's tight as anything. His alligator arms, so that was perfect for him. And <laughs> all joking. But, like, behind the scenes, when you guys are winning, and you have a player like that who's, you know, like, everyone expected Pronger to be great, and, and he was probably even better than you expected. But for Pisani yeah. to kind of become the go-to guy for the team, how much fun behind the scenes were you guys having with him?
0: Well, yeah, being a local guy, that just, that was awesome for him. And we could, we could see, we can, you know, you can just feel how important it was for him and for the city and his family. I can only imagine his family and his friends, how they were feeling and the type of support that they got for him and from him. So it's, uh, it was awesome. Yeah. We were behind him the whole way. And you know, we, we knew how important he was to the team, especially at that time. And, you know, there were some, some games there where we needed a big goal, and he was always the guy to score it, and uh, it was incredible. So I think, what was it, 14 playoff goals he yeah. had? I think it was.
1: Yeah, um, 14.
0: So, yeah, it was it was, it was awesome to see that. It was very happy for him. We all were at the time.
3: Did you ever sense like I don't look? Like sometimes you know, in teams, somebody's like, "Hey, you got to step up tonight," or you know, and some guy would say, "Okay, I got this." In different rooms, like Pisani's a very low key kind of guy. Was he ever on the bench? Uh, you know, okay, guys, I'm in it. Or a guy? Did you ever find yourself, you know, looking, okay, here we are. We, we need Pisani to score now. Was it that <laughs> feeling? <laughs>
0: Well, it was that feeling for us and but he did he was very quiet like you said i sat beside him in the dressing room so i you know we talked a lot before the games and uh you know we wouldn't do much uh, for warming up before the games we would just sit there and you know we'd stretch a little bit me and him but we'd just sit there and talk and a lot of times it wasn't even about hockey it was just to, to get our minds away and get our get ourselves ready to go and no he would never never talk like that he would you know obviously he was a guy with some quiet confidence and he definitely had a lot inside of him at that time but he never really never really talked about it or you know showed it on the outside he just went out and the type of person he is and the character that he has just uh you know it is what it is you what you see is what you get with him and he just went out and did his thing
1: you know, there's no doubt Fernando scored some big goals, but, you know, I was, I was back here from after playing at the Rangers that year. I was back watching. I was caught up in it. But the guys that obviously I'd kind of naturally gravitated to were some of the hackers and whackers, like, uh, you know, Gator, uh, Jason Smith, and, and Ethan Morrow. Maybe talk about these guys, because, and Stevie Stales, like, these guys were just, every night it looks like they were drained. After every single game Then I'd watch the next game, they're back at it again.
0: Well, they were warriors. They were all, all three of them and Ryan Smith. And like the, 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 they were the leaders of the team. They were the, the core leaders that have, that have been there the longest. And they went through some tough seasons and some tough playoff, um, defeats. And, uh, they were guys that I looked up to for sure. And to see how hard they battled and you know, whether they were, you know, bleeding or bruised or the ice bags that, that they, these guys had to put on in between periods after games. And, you know, you're pretty much playing every second day in the playoffs and you know, that off day. You know, you're just preparing for the next day, and you know the rehab that was going on just to get these guys out on the ice for the next game, like you said, and and to to see how they're playing and blocking shots and playing physical and playing their role. Like I said earlier, was was awesome to see, and they were they were a major reason why we got to where we got to as well. You know, you need goals and you need, need goaltending, but. You also need the stuff that they were providing.
3: Jared Soul joins us on the Real Life Podcast, brought to you by Finning Canna, Jason Gregor, along with Jason Strudwick. Uh, talking 2006 playoffs, as Edmonton looks like for the first time in 11 years, uh, they are going back uh, in a new building. Uh, the fans are, are just starving for playoffs. It, it's going to be incredible whenever that first game is in Edmonton. I think it's going to be super loud. But I want to talk about the third-round series, Jared, and how sick your team was. Uh, the flu, but how bad was it looking back? Yeah
0: um yeah, I think there were six or seven guys that it was um and they weren't just sick, they were like, you know, almost kind of the flu or you're weak and you you got just no energy, you're drained and you know, I think the only guy that wasn't sick maybe was uh, Dwayne Rollison, so he uh, <laughs> which is a very good thing. <laughs> but uh <laughs> But no, it was uh it was a tough series cuz Anaheim was rolling too at that point. I know a buddy of mine Joffrey Lupo from Edmonton there. He was on fire. He was he was, you know, he had a lot of goals at that point and we just had to slow him down and and uh, you know they had Scott Niedemeyer and a um, bunch of uh, bunch of guys Getzloff and Perry and guys that they had won before so it was uh, you know it was important that we got off to a good start but yeah it was uh, you just got to deal with stuff and adversity was one of the things we had to deal with was guys being sick and we just found a way to do it somehow Now I've heard
3: and I don't know if it's just legend or were guys act some guys puking during periods?
0: Um, Yeah, I think there was. I'm not sure who. I can't remember who, but there was a couple guys. Yeah. Yeah. I I wish I could remember names, but um, I have no idea. Probably Rafi, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Was it you, though? You didn't catch the flu bug? No, I didn't. No, I was good. I was
3: good. You had your flu shot that year, which is which is good. So now you beat Anaheim, and you're going to this. I want to talk about, and because you guys beat them in five, and, and you had a little bit of time off because Caroline Buffalo, and Buffalo's defense—they were losing guys left and right, and they went to a long series. So you had some time off in between. It's good to get rested, but what? How was your mind going? Is here you are, you're a young guy, and suddenly. You're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. How were those off days? Was it good, or were you starting to go a little stir crazy?
0: Um, a little bit, yeah. It was a long break. I, I forget how many days it was, but I think it, it was eight or something. Always yeah. seemed probably double that. It you know it always seems longer. Um, it was cool though to be in the city, and everybody was so fired up. I remember we had a couple of days off, and we're on White Ave just you know, just having a beer, having lunch, and, and just everybody was so fired up about it, and the weather was good, you know, people were wearing shorts, and sunglasses were out, and it was a great feeling, um, but it, it got long, and I think that's a major reason why we also, we, we went to New York, and, and uh, you know, I think it was the last three days or yeah. four days or before, uh, before the game one, we went there, and Glenn there, let us use the practice facility there, which I think was huge just to get out of the city and, and get our minds right and um, preparing for game one. So, yeah, there was there was long breaks are good, but they're also, they also can be bad. And, um, you know, I think we, we handled it the right way.
3: Now, did, did, did you or any of your teammates uh, carousing on White Ave at the time, did any of you experience shirts off for Horkoff? You know, did did any of the fans uh, live up to the saying?
0: Oh man, you just reminded me of that. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. No, I, which game was it? I remember after one of the home games, um, we would have to drive from Rexall to the airport. We were flying out right away, and it was in the finals. And uh, all, all the way along the, uh, I think it was seventy fifth there, um, just people were, and then traffic was crazy. So we were stop, we had to stop, and it reminds me of LA traffic now, but. You know, people were getting out of their cars and knocking on the window and just like they were very polite and and obviously positive about it and giving us high fives. And that was a great feeling. Just we're on the way to the airport and we just had a big win. And, you know, those are experiences with the fans that you'll never forget and, you know, personal kind of time for for them as well. So that was that was cool.
1: Now, looking at Carolina, they, they were a pretty deep team. You know, I remember them being a pretty four lines deep, talented group of guys. Was there one matchup that you were really looking forward in that final for you and your line mates?
0: Well, for me, it was Rod Brindamore. He was a top faceoff guy in the league at that point, and I, I think he was probably one or two every year. And I took a lot of pride in my faceoffs, and yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to go against uh, up against him. I wanted to beat him. I wanted to, you know, show him that what I could do as well. And um, anytime you have a challenge like that, you're you you know, you get competitive, obviously, and you wanna you wanna win it. So that was that was a big matchup for me. I just remember they were they were a deep team and they they scored a lot of goals that year. And you know, former teammate of mine Justin Williams, he had a great year. Eric Stahl had a great year. I think he had a hundred points in the seat in, yeah. in that regular season. So um, they had a lot of weapons. Yeah, Ray Whitney and Mark Recky and all those guys. So um, Cam Ward was playing the, the best hockey of his career. So we were up against it for sure. Um, so yeah, I think Brendan Moore was a guy that uh, that I looked to, to. I wanted to, you know, beat him every single time I faced him.
3: Now looking at game one. You guys had a 3 nothing lead in that game. It looked like it was in control, then slowly they, they uh, come back. knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> they come back, and I'm sure that's probably, if there's one game in your career that you'd like to relive, I'm sure that would be it. You get into a tie. Then, of course, Rolson gets injured, and then there's the unfortunate uh, play with, with Conklin and Smith behind the net. You lose game one. Like Obviously, that's the game, I'm sure, of the whole playoffs. If there was any time you'd want back, it was that one. But can you talk about how your team, because game two, you guys got crushed. Like, was there a little bit of an emotional letdown after game one with how you lost the game and losing Rollison combined with the blowing the 3-0 lead? Like, were you guys a little mentally down after that game and did that lead to the blowout in game two?
0: Well, I don't know if it led to the blowout, but we definitely were. We definitely were a little bit emotionally, um, you know, hurt by it or a little bit, uh, you know, just emotionally kind of disappointed, I guess, and... Uh, we worked so hard to get that three nothing lead and and game one winning a winning a game one an n a series is a is a huge huge deal uh just to get the upper hand and start you know getting in the heads of their of their team and their guys but yeah, it was a tough break and and things happened um but yeah, I think it kind of it kind of got into our heads a little bit, maybe we didn't play as well in game two and you know juice had to come in um after not playing for a while, and he did a great job for us uh in the finals um games two to to game seven so it was just a tough break uh, definitely wish we could have had that uh, game one back that is probably the game of in my career that i wish we could uh, have, <laughs> wish it could have ended differently but um yeah it was it was weird preparing for game two you can prepare the same way as you do it, it's you know we're creatures of habit and stuff like that but uh it was tough yeah then getting blown out in game two and we're we're definitely behind the eight ball, so it was tough.
1: So, how do you get up? How do you change it? Because I mean, it's such a it's such a game of momentum in the playoffs. How do you get up then for the next game?
0: Well, you just realize how important these games are, and where you're at in the in the course of the season. You're playing hockey mid June, and you got no other choice. You, you're you got to. And these games are so important. Um, it's kind of like winning a playoff round, and then you're preparing for a totally different team and a totally different you know series. And um, you got to forget about it. I, we probably didn't do a very good job of forgetting about game one before game two. But, you know, we had to move on and, uh, and just, you know, figure it out because there's not much time uh, to not figure it out. So we, we had to try to do it and winning game, winning game three at home was, was awesome. We played well and, uh, you know, the series kind of unfolded how it did.
3: Now, Game Five, you talk about penalty killing, and you know at that time you were on the power play and on penalty kill. Uh, and I've talked to Steve Stales about it, and he said it was the worst <laughs> feeling of his life having to sit in the penalty box in overtime in Game Five. And then, of course, yeah. the legend grows bigger. Fernando Pisani, one of the greatest shots I think he's ever had in his career. Can you relive that? You were on the bench at the time. Just talk about what went through your mind. Kind of, you know, you guys get penalized. You're like, oh my god! And then suddenly, you're scoring a shorthanded goal in the Stanley Cup final.
0: Oh, I couldn't imagine what Stevie was feeling like exactly like, Oh man, I just, I wouldn't, nobody would want to be in that position. So I felt bad for him, but um, yeah, just every little decision, every shot on net every little like wrist shot from the point, or there's so many ways to score a goal and little deflection or if something went off one of our defenseman's leg or pants or whatever. it just so many things can happen at that point in a split second and you want to just kill it off any way possible. Just try to kill it off. Try to kill it off. And then I remember, you know, Fernie just uh, he stripped one of their defensemen at the blue line, and we were all like instantly jumped up on the bench. And it's the one guy obviously that you want to have the you know want to have the puck on his stick uh, at any point in the playoffs. And um, yeah, it was it was an unbelievable shot. Hit the the back bar, and um, you know, in stride, he just snapped at home. He had a great he had a great shot, and uh, that was a great feeling. And to be able to go back home, I could only imagine the. The way the fans reacted in Edmonton for that to to, to be able to come back home and, and see a game six and in which we played our probably our best game of the season. Well,
3: I was doing my show on White Ave at the time at the Elphin Castle and when Pisani scored in overtime, like the whole street went bananas. Right. Like every bar, people are going crazy. It was I'll never forget just that moment. It's an overtime goal. It's hard to I think for the next fifty minutes, like I just People chanting, Pisani, of course, was a hero, a legend, yeah. and you know, and rightfully so. Then you come back for Game Six, and you guys absolutely spank them for nothing. Probably the most dominating performance of the whole playoffs. But the building, yeah. Jared, I know it had been loud before, and I know the players had talked about how you'd be in the room even before warm up, and you could hear everything. But this, the, just yeah. can you talk about the atmosphere in Game Six of the Finals?
0: Well, I got chills right now, to be honest with you. Um, So, so many things were going on in your mind and, you know, you got to obviously win the game to stay alive, but you're in front of your home fans for the last time in the season. um, And we worked so hard to get to that point. I know they appreciated all the hard work that we put in um, and they showed us that they showed us that right from the outset. Um, You know, they wanted to give us as much energy as possible. And that was our most dominating game of the season, I think for sure. Um, we just didn't give them anything. And at that point we had all the momentum going back to Carolina, but our fans gave us a lot of that momentum as well. So we got to give them credit for sure for that. But uh, it was cool, man. Just uh, all those streamers that would, would come down uh, for every for every win. And it was just a party in there, obviously in Rexall place, but the whole city itself. And, you know, for the Oilers to be able to get back in the playoffs this year, it's, it's going to be special for them.
1: So uh, you guys fly down to Carolina, and uh, you know what's it like going to bed knowing the next day could be the day you might win a Stanley Cup.
0: Well, yeah, it definitely goes through your mind. You just don't want it to to take over, and that's all you're thinking about because you gotta you gotta be in the moment and you gotta prepare the right way, just like you would any other game, and like you had to that point in the playoffs, um, the way you prepared and the way you. Um, you know did your video the way we're coached just all the things that are routine for us as hockey players you want to just keep everything the same and try not to let that mind you know uh, let that thought creep into your mind sorry as much as possible but it's tough it really is and um, you don't want to make a huge mistake to, to cost a goal or take a bad penalty and like all these little things and you, know, you got the puck on your stick and you want to just focus as much as possible to make the right play and not turn it over and all those things are in the game that you're thinking about that you uh, you know you want to do the right do the right thing.
3: Now, Jarrett, uh, everybody knows what happened in game 7 it didn't work out the the way order fans wanted, but it was it was an incredible run, a little bit of a Cinderella one in a sense, although the team was probably better in the regular season than what the record stated. You're one of I think only two guys in that team who was lucky enough you and Pronger, to win a Stanley Cup afterwards. He won it the next year in Anaheim, and then you waited five years. When you finally won in 2012, did that
0: ever, like,
3: does that make up at all for the feeling you felt after losing Game 7 in in, uh, in 06?
0: Yeah, it did, it for sure. You want to, as a player, you want to win a Stanley Cup, and that's that's the only thing you think about. It's the only thing you dream about. Um they're so different, you know, obviously different teams, different cities, um, different teammates, different coaching staff. You you know, you want to, whichever team you're on, you, you want to win. You just, you go through so much, um, you know, as a family, as brothers to to win. And you know, I still feel bad that we lost game seven. I, I feel bad for everybody on our team and everybody in the organization that we just didn't, couldn't pull out that last game. Um, on the other hand, when you do win one, you know, you still think about, Losing and how bad, how bad you feel, and how tough it was, and how emotional it was to sit there and watch them celebrate before you shake their hand, and then when we, on the other side of it, when when we're obviously when we won, it's you don't think about any of that. You just you're so happy to win and, and exhausted to to finally have reached your goal and your dream, and celebration goes on. But it's definitely two ends of the spectrum there, and uh, you, know, you want to obviously be on the, the winning side, but. Yeah, it's hard to explain, but I still feel bad for for game seven for sure in 06.
3: Jared Stoll here on the Real Life Podcast with Jason Greger and Jason Strugger, brought to you by Finning Cannon. We'll take a quick break. We're going to come back with uh, rapid fire and
1: more. It's late, and you just finished a full day of work. Your equipment is done for the day, and tomorrow, bright and early, you start all over again. You know what you need to keep it running smoothly. But there's not a break in the schedule to make that happen. With over 1.4 million cat pots at your fingertips on parks.cat.com, getting that pot just became easier. Any device, anytime, anywhere. Get what you need, when you need it. Order today. Parks.cat.com.
3: Return on the Real Life Podcast, brought to you by Finning Cannon. I'm Jason Greger, along with Jason Strudwick, uh, Jared Stoll, our guest uh, this week. Some fantastic stories uh, reliving 06, the last time the orders were in the playoffs, and thankfully for order fans, uh, they'll they'll have a new chapter and uh, led by Connor McDavid. Who knows where they'll go this year? Uh, Jerry, we have a new thing: rapid fire. Uh, you have to answer the questions. Uh, no sitting on the fence. All right, Stoll.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm good. I'll try.
3: Okay, player you hated playing the most?
0: Um, probably, probably Chris Pronger until I played with, <laughs>
3: <laughs> and then you hated him again yeah. once he was on yeah. the other team. Okay, yeah. that's fair. How much are you actually helping in wedding planning?
0: And if do you have one job? Oh man, I wish I uh, wish Aaron could answer that question. I I do a lot more than I think people think. I'm I'm really OCD. I think I like I love to plan. and I love whether it's a get together, or a team outing, or dinner reservations or whatever. I always want to plan because I always know then what's what's happening and what you know to get everything organized and and it gets done. But so I'm yeah I'm I'm involved. I'm involved with uh, most of the stuff, but I don't make the final decisions. <laughs> uh, so uh, so you, you
3: so you haven't decided on uh, what's going to be. On every table, if it's a vase or a, or a thing of roses, or maybe maybe a picture no, of not, Jarrett,
0: not at that point yet. No, I, <laughs> I want a bunch of wheat on the table, but that's not going over very well.
3: <laughs> Lakers or Clippers?
0: Um, go Clippers. They're more exciting to watch. Um, you know, Lakers obviously had their day, but I'll go Clippers.
3: Are you still scared of rabbits? Yeah. They're quick <laughs> right inside, sorry. Anything, that,
0: anything that's quick man i just i just can't deal uh, true
3: story i didn't know jared very well we were put together in a golf tournament yeah. this is probably like 2004 and i'm with yeah. my brother and jared's are with with warren Suter and uh, we're looking for our balls I think it was Stole he had driven it into the bush of course so we're up there off the carts trying to look for it <laughs> and we're walking and all of a sudden there's this jackrabbit that's in the tall grass yeah. just sitting there staring at Stoll I'd never heard a pro athlete scream like a girl before come on and, oh,
0: it was unbelievable
3: <laughs> oh, I couldn't God. believe how scared hey, I don't
0: think I'm scared of rabbits anything that anything that scares you you'll, <laughs> you're gonna scream maybe or, you know. but it's a rabbit rabbits, I don't know. They're, rabbits are cute and all but anything that scares you you're gonna scream <laughs> well, it
3: was, I will say it was one of the biggest rabbits I'd ever seen, though. But man, I was di- it, it did break the ice
1: because we didn't really know each other at that time, everybody. But we had a good yeah, laugh yeah. after that one. Thirteen, fourteen pounder. <laughs> get yeah. pretty big those things. Big <laughs> boy there. All right, uh, last questions from me, and um, I need to know: Do you still consider yourself the best-looking person from Saskatchewan? Oh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Better than Regeer? Because Regeer's I got all, a good style. No, it all it all comes together. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I noticed, like, how honest, because of course, uh, has done TV, and he spends about an hour and a half in the makeup chair before got he goes on. Right. I noticed you're on, how long, like, who's fluffing your hair? Because I noticed the other day I watched the Kings-Predators game, and I was like, man, suddenly looks like there's more hair up there. What's happening?
0: Uh, no one's touching my hair, but me. First of all, <laughs> uh, I got. I'm on the game. To, I'm doing the game tonight again against the the Capitals. So I gotta. I gotta get in the shower after I'm done talking with you guys and, and work on the hair. But, <laughs> yeah. No. It's. Uh, the makeup just a couple little a couple little uh touches here and there but no i'm definitely touching my own hair
3: (laughs) (laughs) now i know you you have a lot of close friends uh you you were in edmonton for a long time made a lot of good friends the orders back in the playoffs is a big deal i you know i've talked to a few alumni who are like hey it's it's great to see them back if the orders go on a little bit of a run uh would you find yourself uh flying in for a game
0: yeah for sure for sure i would no that's uh that'll be exciting i would love to do that I'm gonna fly in with uh with the Kings here at the end of the month, uh, when they come into town and I've never seen I haven't seen the building yet, obviously, and I've heard I've heard wonderful things about it. So I wanna check out the building and uh and see a bunch of the guys and see you, Gregor and Struds and hang out and maybe have some uh have some laughs, have some stories and yeah, it'll be good to get back in the city and, and see the building and see some old friends. I know
3: it'll be fantastic. Uh, We look forward to it. Uh, Jared, always great to to catch up with you. Uh, Continued success. Now, one last one. You've done a little bit of TV. You're also doing player development. Uh, Is there one in the early stages that you feel like, Hey, maybe that's the area I want to go. Is there too soon to tell?
0: You know what? No, it's it's too soon to tell. I love them both so much. I don't know. uh, Yeah. I don't have a number one or number two here. I just, I love what I'm doing and keeping busy. And I just got to, wouldn't mind getting paid for, for one of these gigs yet. But, uh... (laughs)
2: Uh, Hey, I
3: love it. Welcome to the media, Stoli. <laughs> Welcome to the media. It's good times. <laughs> I'll buy you a beer when you come into town then. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks, Stoli. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay, thanks, guys. Right now.
3: Jared Stoll Struds, awesome. we'll talk to you next week. We'll be here, buddy. It's a real-life podcast brought to you by Finning Canada.